How many people are thankful for God's grace this morning? Can I, just tonight, can I get amen? I said this morning, you can maybe be seated. I, uh, it's so weird, I, if I run into you in the lobby before service and I say good morning, um, I, it's just, it feels like morning. And anyway, y'all are at the five o'clock service though. Y'all get, y'all get the spicy service. Y'all get the extra stuff. Y'all get, I'm, I'm older now and the older I get, I, I think the more, um, what's the word, cratchety, ratchety? <laughs> Something like that. Anyway, we'll do a survey. You're gonna be scared, but, but stay with me. I'm, I'm, I'm really curious. How many people here tonight are South Carolina Gamecock fans? Anybody? Okay, whoa, okay, wow. Lots of y'all, okay. So at the end of the service, we're gonna do an invitation. <laughs> so no, that, that's more Carolina fans per person than we had this morning. Either that or they wouldn't raise their hand. So if you're a South Carolina fan, um, the third game on your schedule next year, you go to Georgia. You're going to, to Athens. And go. we'll get to the dogs in a minute. Just calm down. <laughs> so so that's, your, that's your third game next year. And, uh, and, and believe it or not, I'm actually going to go against everything in me. And I'm, I'm going to pull for South Carolina, which, which means you're going to lose. But, but I am going to cheer for you. Now, Here's what's crazy. Out of all of you that raised your hands, what if I told you I had, I had four tickets? Now, I don't, but we're, this is let's pretend. I don't have four tickets. But let's say I had four tickets and I was gonna give them to you. And, but here's, there's a catch. These tickets are among the most obnoxious Georgia family, which let's be honest, Georgia obnoxious, they kind of go together. But they're, they're, they're in the most obnoxious section of Georgia fans Possible? How many of you that raised your hand would be like, "Oh, I'd take those tickets. I'd go. I'd go." Okay, most of y'all, most of y'all, some of y'all didn't raise your hand because you're scared of Athens. Most people are. How many people, if you went to that game, you would wear your South Carolina gear? You wouldn't. Okay, you wouldn't try to camouflage yourself. That's good. That's good. Okay, most of y'all. That's that's awesome. So Georgia fans, you're go, go dogs. How many Georgia fans do we have besides Lauren? Okay, there's always a few, always a few in every church. Your toughest game next year, in fact, the only game you have, and don't hand me this stuff about we play in the SEC, you play Vanderbilt. Really? <laughs> the people you're gonna work for one day. You get to beat them in football and then you call them balls for the rest of your life. But your toughest game is your next to last game of the season at Tennessee, and it's probably gonna be at night. That would be my guess. So for the Georgia fans that raised your hand, how many of you, if I said I got four tickets, they're great seats, but they're right in the middle of the rowdiest Tennessee fans. In the, now, now, if you got 100 Tennessee fans, you got one set of teeth, all right? I, I, I get that, but this is, <laughs> you, got, you got the rowdiest Tennessee fans. How many of you, if you're a true Georgia fan, you would, you would go to that game anyway, and you would wear your Georgia stuff? You would wear your, okay, yeah, that's most everybody. There's most everybody. Now, the reason I ask that question is you wouldn't be afraid to go to an opposing stadium and wear your team colors, right? I learned how intimidating that could be in 1981. In 1981, Clemson was ranked number two in the nation, and we were playing South Carolina, who was not ranked in the nation. I don't ever um, at that point that year. So, so it was supposed to be a blowout game. And my dad had a friend who was a member of like the cock-a-doodle-doo club or cock-a-doodle loser club or whatever y'all have, and, and he got season tickets and and he was mad, so he sold my dad these tickets, and my dad said, do you wanna go? And I'm 10, and I'm like, I would love to go. And 
He said, now these tickets are right in the middle of the South Carolina section. He said, and these people are like big time South Carolina fans. And I was like, I don't care, because I'm 10. 10, what do you know? And uh, 10, 10 years old without the internet, okay? And I said, I said, I said let's go. He said, there'll be a lot of people there. I said, let's go. He said, are you gonna wear your orange? I said, I'm, I'm decking out an orange. And he said, okay, that's what we'll do. So we go down to this Williams Rath. And you got, I'm from, I grew up in Easley, South Carolina. The most people I had ever seen at any event ever was an Easley versus Pickens high school football game. There were tens of people there. And so, so we, like, we, don't, we're not, we didn't grow up smart and easily. We thought a 401k was our mother-in-law's bra size, all right? We just did We weren't <laughs> smart. So we, we pull up to Williams-Brice Stadium, and this is the biggest thing I've ever seen. At the time, now I know it holds more now, but at the time it held 53,000 people. I'm a kid from Easley, 10 years old. Never seen anything this big in my life. And I remember looking at the football field thinking, this is the most, I mean, Williams, it, it, it is a beautiful stadium. Wasn't is a beautiful stadium. I'm stand, and, and the game started and I was in all orange. And South Carolina that year was terrible. Except when South Carolina and Clemson play, you can throw the records out the window. South Carolina took the opening drive, went down the field, and scored a touchdown. And the Gamecock fans around me, I'm 10. I'm a 10-year-old kid. But they were talking smack. They were like, how you like that, boy? Because I had one of those big foam number one fingers. I'm like, where's that finger? Where's the finger? And I was, I was kind of sitting down. And they, they were talking so much junk. I turned to my dad. And I was like, can we leave? And he, he just laughed. He's like, son, there's a lot of game left to be played. I was like, okay, well. And then we blocked a punt and scored on that, but then, then missed the extra point. And, the, and when we missed the extra point, because Gamecock fans, you got to take your, you got to take what you can get. You got to celebrate anything. So the, they start talking, you can't make an extra point. I'm like, I can't make an extra point. I'm just, this is the fat kid in the stands. I can't do anything, right? That's, and so the game continued to go and it was, it was like a, I was nervous until about midway through the third quarter. And about midway through the third quarter, Clemson goes ahead. And, and I noticed everybody around me was kind of getting quiet. And then they scored another touchdown. And you might find this hard to believe, but as a 10-year-old kid, I started talking smack back. <laughs> I was like, hey, how y'all like that? Uh, you want to know where the finger is? I got this finger and I got another finger. I went a Christian. So I, I, I got the finger for you, all right? And, and I, can remember, I can remember going into that stadium, wearing my, Clemson jer- wearing my Clemson jersey, wearing my Clemson colors, and feeling like, oh my gosh, this is what it's like to not have the home field advantage. Now, the reason I bring that up is because if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, Nobody, nobody would argue today that we are a Christian nation. Now, we were. I think we're post-Christian. I think we can have an awakening. I think we can have a revival. I pray for these things. I think God wants to do it through the local church. I believe in all of these things. But, But to say that we are a Christian nation going down the road, we're going down right now, please. And I started thinking, what would happen if, if it started with, with the men of God and everybody in the church ultimately, but what would happen if we knew that we, we, are, we do not have the home field advantage 
but we walked into our workplace tomorrow or we walked into our, our culture with our Jesus jersey on and we weren't afraid to represent Team Jesus. We weren't afraid to go public for our relationship with Jesus Christ. We weren't afraid to take a stand on issues that Christians just aren't speaking up about because we're so scared because the opposing team seems to be winning. But I've read the last chapter in the book. So, so we're, we're coming back to this story about Gideon. Now, if you haven't been with us a few weeks, this story about Gideon is pretty good. The Israelites have been oppressed by the Midianites for seven years, for seven years. The Midianites, the Bible said, had, had them hiding in rocks and in caves. And when we met Gideon the first week, remember he was in a pit. He was in a wine press threshing wheat, which didn't make sense. And Jesus, because he, this is how much Jesus loves us. He, he comes from heaven all the way down to got in the pit with Gideon and started speaking life to him. Uh, hey, mighty warrior, the Lord is with you. And Gideon was like, who are you talking to? And they had the conversation. And last week we talked about Gideon was like, well, I don't know. I mean, I need to see a sign. And he set the rock on fire. And Gideon was like, okay, I'm in. And then he built the altar. And, and this is the thing that I'm gonna start and end with today. What was it about Gideon that God said, that's my God. God, angels, come here, come here, come here. See that guy right there? Get, yeah, his name's Gideon. Get, we gotta get that guy on our, he's a first round draft pick. He's a five star, we need to get him signed early. There's nothing in the Bible that indicates anything godly was going on in Gideon's life. Why did God pick Gideon? Well, same reason he picks any of us. It's because of his amazing grace. This isn't just a song we sing. This is reality. There was nothing about, Gideon wasn't going to Bible studies. He wasn't worshiping. He, di he didn't have all worship music on his iPhone because we know he didn't have a droid. We, that, there was nothing like that going on. He, God simply said, I'm gonna take that guy in the pit, the, the, guy, the guy that's the lowest, the guy that everybody has counted out, the guy that nobody believes in and I'm gonna use that guy. And I'm just saying that because there might be somebody tonight that, that feels like you're in a pit and feels like you're the person that's been counted out. But don't, don't forget this. The people that counted you out can't count because of God and his amazing grace. There's always, always a way out of that pit. So we're gonna pick up the story in Judges chapter six, verse 25. That night, which is crazy because Gideon had just built an altar to the Lord. He had just built this altar to the Lord. And have you ever done something for Jesus and you're like, okay, I get a break. And God was like, nope, round two. That night, the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull. Don't you love how God's specific? Don't, hey, see that first one? Leave him alone. Got different plans for him. Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. And then he goes on to say some things, but I want to focus on this statement, the one that is seven years old. Now let's go back and think for just a second. How long had the Midianites oppressed the Israelites? For seven years. 
Seven in the Bible is the number of completion. So when God is saying, take the second bull, he's saying, take the bull that was born at the beginning of the oppression because seven is the number of completion. And Gideon, I'm about to set you free. I'm about to set you free from the enemy. I'm about to set you free from shame. I'm about to set you free from guilt. And I think that's God's message to somebody here tonight. God's getting ready to set somebody free, set somebody free from an addiction, set somebody free from depression, set somebody free from anxiety. We have a God that sets people free. That's who he is. That's what he does. In fact, the Bible says in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 12, he said, I promise this very day that I will repay two blessings for each, each of your troubles. How many want to sign up for that plan, God? I want to sign up for the two blessings for every trouble. Listen, if he, bless, if he gives me two blessings for every trouble, whoo, I will walk on water by the time I'm done. I mean, it's, it's crazy. But God, he's, he's the God of hope. He's a God, listen, he knows how deep in that pit we are, and yet he still goes, I want, I want, to, I want to set you free. Now, going back to the verse, he said, pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Now, this is loaded. Let me, explain, let me just do a little bit of explanation here. We talked about this week one, but Baal was often drawn in ancient literature as holding a lightning bolt. We said week one, he was the god of climate. We talked about, isn't it crazy that there was a culture that worshiped climate? He also represented wealth and prosperity. And many times in, in literature, he was also drawn with bull horns coming out of his head. So in Baal worship, it was very common to make golden bulls or golden calves for the purpose of worshiping Baal. When the Israelites came out of Egypt and were going into the promised land and Moses goes up on the mountain for 40 days and the Israelites don't know what to do, what did they build to, to worship? They built two golden what? By the way, we always pick the dumbest things to worship. Listen, we, we could worship anything. Let's worship a, a cow. <laughs> like, 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 let's worship, that's stupid. Anyway, can you believe, can you believe that there was once a society, and it happened again in Israel years later when Solomon wasn't king anymore and one of the, one of the kings, he, he led Israel astray. The Bible says he built two golden calves, which are ba baby bulls, and led Israel astray. And it's kind of funny, if you think about it, that that a culture would put a golden bull as the center of their worship to show everyone that they were obsessed with wealth and prosperity. Aren't you glad we don't do that today? Except for the fact that in 1989, this was put on Wall Street. I mean, huh. Isn't it great how much progress we've made? Now, he, he went on to say, then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones down carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar as fuel for the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. Now, Asherah, Asherah was the God, God, listen, can't make this up. Asherah was a transgender God. It depended on the situation if she would, or he would show up as a male or a female. And Asherah's goal was to feminize the men and make the women feel more masculine and 
Basically, I'm independent, I don't need a man, was Asherah's goal. In Asherah worship, you, if you were gonna become a, if you were a dude and you were a high priest, you had to dress like a woman. If you were really committed, you had to cut your own genitals off. Yeah, I ain't <laughs> signing up for that plan, right? But, but that's what Asherah worship was. Now, today, if I said, let's tear down some idols, I'm, I'm not gonna advocate for a field trip to New York City to attack that golden bull because number one, your boy ain't going to New York City right now because that thing has gone crazy. And number two, I think the idols that we have today are statements that are made that unfortunately have become not just tolerated but accepted and even celebrated by some churches. So, we're gonna make it tense. I used to hate tension as a preacher because I wanted everybody to be happy. But I'm over 50 now and I don't have time. Y'all ready for this? Oh, you're not ready? Good, good, good. Everybody's nervous. Hold on. How do you tear that down? Make some statements. Here we go. Here's number one. Pride is a sin. Yeah, y'all feel that? See, it's, it's pride month. And you're like... Oh, so we're gonna talk about the LGBTQ plus minus divided sign, hampersand, LMNOP. Like, I don't know how many letters we have left. Now, I'm, I will say this, as a Christian, as an American, personally, I was highly offended this week on Flag Day at the White House when they put the gay pride flag in the middle of two American flags, flags that men and women have died for all over the world to protect our freedom and they honored the gay pride flag instead of the American flag, I felt that to be incredibly disrespectful and I felt like it was a slap in the face of every American who loves Jesus and I felt like it was a slap in the face in the, against the church. That was a great place to clap, but y'all aren't with me. That's fine. Hey, listen, Look, I, hold on, hold on. I'm so confident in everything I'm saying tonight. I'm gonna go home and sleep so good. I'm so happy. But does anybody find the irony that we're celebrating Pride Month? I'm not just talking about gay pride. I'm talking about pride in general. Because see, pride is what got Satan kicked out of heaven. God didn't catch him looking at porn on his iPhone. He's full of pride. Pride is that thing in us that we can't see in the mirror. Pride is what will, pride will cause a person addicted to porn to look at a person that is gay and say, he needs, he needs to get his life right. Pride will cause an obese person to look at an addict and say they have a problem. Pride is when we obsess over the sins of other people so we don't have to deal with the sins in our own lives. That's why it's dangerous. Move on something to a little less controversial. You cannot separate Jesus and politics. Now, this is where somebody always does this, and I want to save you the embarrassment. Pastor P, separation of church and state. I'll make you the deal that I've been making for years. I'll give you $10,000 cash if you can find the phrase separation of church and state in the Constitution of the United States. You can't. It's not there. 
is in a letter written by Thomas Jefferson to the Danbury Baptist Convention, and the purpose of the letter was to keep the government out of the church, not to keep the church out of the government. That's why when people say, church shouldn't talk about politics, well, what the world has labeled culture wars are actually spiritual wars. And I think as a follower of Jesus, I have a, as much of a right to say what I wanna say. It's not what we say, it's how we say it. When Jesus saves us, he doesn't, he doesn't save us so he can be a part of our life. He saves us so he can be all of our life. He saves us so he can renew our minds. And renewing our mind is a consistent ongoing, continual thing, and as he renews our minds, we begin to see like he sees, and when we see like he sees, we'll do what he says, and as we do what he says, it spills over into every area of our lives, especially the voting booth. Now, this year, I mean, next year, I don't know what we're going, we got, got a couple options. We got a guy that's probably gonna be in jail, and a guy that's probably gonna be in an old folks' home, and I don't, I can't, like, can we get something better, right? I'm, I'm, I'm offending both sides. I'm just saying, as a follower of Jesus, we absolutely get to speak into what's going on in our country. Absolutely. Let's go on to another one. This, this one, I'm, this, I'll make it easy. There are only two genders, male and female, and God is the one who decides slash assigns the gender. Okay, now somebody this week, it was really cool, they encouraged me to thank you for having the courage to, to say that from stage. And I said, you're welcome. And then I thought about it, and I was like, why does this take courage? It, I'm following the science. Isn't that what they've been telling us to do now for three years? This is... There's only two genders, male and female, male and female. And God decides. If, if a dude decides he wants to be a woman and puts on a dress and shaves his legs, it doesn't make you a woman, period. In any way, men and women are different. Men and women's brains are different. Women think more, women think more. That's, that's probably it, just women. And we're different, God, we're different. Shannon and I got in a fight last week, it was awful. I just, because we think different, because we're going out to dinner. I said, where do you wanna go? She said, you pick. I said, where do you wanna go? She said, you know what, let's just go to one of those restaurants where they make the food in front of us. And so I took her to Subway. I just threw that in to loosen y'all up. That didn't happen. But anyway, there, there, are only two, <laughs> there are only two genders, male and, and female. And, and listen, if, if you're struggling with this, if you don't agree with this, you're struggling with this, let me just pause and say, I'm glad you're here. I don't hate, I don't hate anybody. I, I, I love people. I'm just saying, it's, it's, a, it's a condition called gender dysphoria. And I think the firm the term gender affirming care, that's, that's BS. Because as a physician, it's not your job to affirm somebody, it's your job to help them. And if somebody came into your doctor's office and they had anorexia and bulimia 
but they told you they wanted liposuction and a, and a tummy tuck, would you do it to affirm them? No. And let me tell you where this is going, because it's getting worse. States are passing laws now that if a child, and I'm not talking about high school, middle school, I'm talking about elementary school age. If a child goes to, to school and they decide they're the opposite gender, they can switch. You as a parent have no say, and if you don't agree with it, they will come to your house and either take your child away or arrest you as an abusive parent for not supporting your child in that decision. And I'm here to say, as a dad, not on my watch, not on my watch, but if we don't stand up and speak up, it's coming. It's, it's just, this is, I don't, like, men can't have babies. I was watching a show the other day, and a man's crying because he can't have a baby. And I'm like, dude, where's it going to come out of? Like, what? just work, work with me through that. I, and if I, listen, this is 5 o'clock. I'll just tell you, if I was a woman, I'd be pissed because there are, there are men winning woman of the year who've never had a period. I was watching the show the other day, and there was a dude, a dude. He was a dude, and he wanted to go in the girls' bathroom because he didn't have access to tampons in the men's bathroom. And I'm like, S somebody tell him. Somebody tell him how it works. There's got to be a diagram on YouTube or something. Show the boy how it works. I'm not, I'm not mad about this. I'm just telling Somebody's got to say this. It, now, somebody asked me this. Somebody asked me this. I got, a, I got a couple text messages today going, hey, man, thank you for saying this. You know people are going to come after you. And I'm like, what are they going to do? Fire me? <laughs> Cancel me? Unfollow me? <laughs> I, just, I just, let's go to another one. This will be better. Um, men should not be allowed to compete with women. It's not fair. It's just not fair. I don't even see, I don't even see why this is an issue. That if a dude decides he's a girl, he can compete. Now let's take that to the further. Let, let's, like the great theologian Dave Chappelle said. I do watch Dave Chappelle. He talked about, he talked about this and he said, what if LeBron James decided he was a woman and went to the WNBA where he would score 487 points a night. Would that be fair? No. I'm just telling you, I'm a, I'm a dad. I got a 15-year-old little girl. She's not into sports, but if she was into sports, and we went to, a, we went to a, um, a game, and there was a dude on the other team, I'm just telling you, it's not happening on my watch. I'm not, I'm not gonna allow that to happen. Last but not least, this is my favorite. Masculinity is not toxic. Now, it can be. There are abusive men, and we've talked about that before, and so I won't bring that up again, but I'm just saying masculinity is not toxic. In fact, on June 6, 1944, the Americans stormed the beaches of Normandy with a group of men who did not obsess over their pronouns, who weren't trying to find a safe space, and triggered meant they were getting shot at. And those men, because of their sacrifice, they set us free. They fought for our freedom. 
I'm so glad that we had, my, if I'm in the parking lot getting my butt kicked and the cops show up, I want the most, I want the masculine dude to get out of the car and stop it. Or at least let me get a hit in on the guy before they take me to jail, right? And this doesn't mean, this, men, this, we don't have to be mean, but we can be firm. For example, um, I'll talk about Target a little bit more later, but I remember when Target came out with the, the bathroom thing, where you could go to whatever bathroom you wanted. And I just remember thinking, not on, like if, if I'm at Target and Shannon and Karis are in the bathroom and a dude who identifies as a woman tries to walk in, just telling you, it's not gonna happen. I identify as a woman. I would say, I identify as a door. <laughs> if you can make it through me, you can go in, right? I, there's a difference between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. A peacemaker appeases everyone, but a peacekeeper will fight to keep the peace. I mean, at the end of the day, ladies, do you want to be married to a peacemaker or to a peacekeeper? When, do you want to be married to somebody when they break, if somebody breaks in your house, it's like, okay, baby, let's not say anything. You know, we got some extra stuff. Let's just let them have it. In fact, y'all want, want some food? I'll cook you something. No, no, uh-uh, uh-uh. You want somebody, if they break in your house, they pick the wrong dang house. That's all right. So now I got everybody all in a, in a tizzy, riled up. There you go. There was a, somebody's listening. So watch this. So Gideon <laughs> took 10 of his servants. That's how you know you're taking your next step in your walk with Christ because you can't do it alone. Gideon was like, you want me to do what? Tell, oh, shoot, I gotta have some help. So, so Gideon went and found like 10, 10 guys. And the Bible says, and did as the Lord commanded, but he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. See, cancel culture even existed back then. Now, I want, I want to ask you a question. You've never been asked this question in church. I want you to think about it for a second. If you are going to get into a fight, I'm not talking about an argument. I'm talking about fists are going to be thrown. Um, I, ladies, I'm talking about like the, the earrings are coming off and the hair's going in the ponytail. I'm talking about a legitimate fight. And there were four of them, and you could only have one person to have your six to be by your side. Who would it be? Now, don't answer. Don't, don't. Jesus. Okay, thank you very much. But let's, let John Wick. Okay, John Wick could kill everybody. We know that. In fact, we should send John Wick to Ukraine. He would solve the problem with them in Russia. Everything's, okay. Who would, you, do, do you know who you would pick? Do you know who pick? Everybody got it? If you're sitting, if you're sitting near him, if they're here, just point at them. Point at the person you'd pick. Okay, some of y'all point. Some of y'all point at your wife. Oh, you're pointing at me. Yeah, I, yeah. Hey, I'm a good person. We have fun. We go to jail, but it'd be fun. It'd be fun. I'm always looking for a sermon illustration. Paul went to jail, wrote the Bible. So there you go. I'm, I'm always looking for a sermon illustration. Somebody like, why would you say? It? And somebody asked me recently, who would you pick? Somebody asked me this week. I bet it'd be Cole. Nope. <laughs> Let me tell you why. Cole is, Cole in high school was an athlete. He was a college athlete. He competed on the highest level. 
So strength is not the problem. The problem is on the Enneagram, Cole's a seven and wants to give everybody a hug. So we could have people with knives coming at us and Cole would be like, let's not judge them. I think they need a hug, man. If we just hug them, if we just hug them. So I love you, man, but it wouldn't be you. This, this text right here is evidence, though, that you gotta have somebody. You gotta have somebody. And, and Gideon picking 10 people, this is, this is just a snapshot of, of Jesus and the church. If, if Gideon needed people in his life to take his next step, then we need people in our lives to take our next step. There is no just Jesus and me. Somebody asked me recently, Pastor Pete, can you be a Christian and not be involved in the church? And I was like, well, that's kind of a trick question because the answer is yes. You can absolutely be a Christian and not be involved in a church, but you can't follow Jesus and not be involved in the church. It's a big difference because the church matters to Jesus. The, the, the church is the bride of Christ. You wanna make me mad? Tell me you love me, but you don't like Shannon. We will have a problem. And this is what Paul said about the church in Ephesians chapter one, verse 22. God has put all things under the authority of Christ. Don't you love that? Just to know that as crazy as this world is, God's gonna use it all for good at some point. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. And I'm telling you, when the local church is working right, altars get torn down. When the local church is working right, lost people get found, excluded people get included, community gets formed, people get set free from addiction, and God gets the glory for it all. And there's gotta be, I, I feel like there's gotta, listen, the average American attends church once every six weeks, and we gotta, we gotta show up more than that. We, got, we gotta show up, and we gotta say, I need some help taking my next step. What about church hurt, Pastor Pete? Everybody's got church hurt. And, and let's be honest, most people, if you've been in church for a minute, you've been on the giving and receiving end of church hurt. I would just challenge you, if you got church hurt, I get it, because trust me, I get it. But we follow a man who was crucified by religion. And we're gonna stand in the shadow of a blood-stained cross and tell him about our church hurt. Maybe instead of complaining, we could say, hey, if you got out of the grave, help me to get out too. Just a thought. So it goes on and it says, early the next morning, as the people of the town began to stir, someone discovered that the altar of Baal had been broken down and that the Asherah pole had been, beside it had been cut down. Everybody say, uh-oh, one, two, three, uh-oh. In their place, a new altar had been built and on it were the remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. In other words, a statement had been made. They're like, oh, snap, this is serious. So, so the people said to each other, who did this? And after asking around and making a careful search, they learned that it was Gideon, the son of Joash. Now, how'd they find out? 
Isn't that crazy? Because they didn't have, like in today's world, if we're watching a movie, it's so boring because they're like, who did the crime? Well, let's go back and look at the security footage because there's security footage of everything. People got security footage and some of y'all been looking at your ring when you're sitting in here making sure your dog's not going pee-pee in the house. Like we, we got their security footage everywhere, but they didn't have security footage by then. I think there was probably a prayer meeting on the side. That's because Christians gossip during prayer meeting. And somebody got in a prayer meeting and somebody said, this is a Southern prayer meeting. Somebody said, y'all, y'all pray for Gideon. He's done got himself in some trouble. Everybody look. Oh, y'all hadn't heard about Gideon. Y'all didn't hear this from me. But he done tore down an altar. Let's pray. We're, we gossip, don't we? Y'all pray for Cindy. Y'all, and because y'all know Cindy. Y'all know. Oh, oh, y'all don't know Cindy's pregnant? Yeah. Let's pray for God. We love Cindy. We know that you are the only one sovereign enough to figure out who the father is. <laughs> oh, you've been there. How, how did they find out? They found out that Gideon, the son of Joash. Now, let's talk about Joash for a minute because Joash evidently hadn't been a good dad for seven years. I mean, he led his whole family astray. He built an altar to Baal and a pole to Asherah, and it was a big deal. Oh, Joash, what's he thinking? They came and said, bring out your son, the men of the town demanded of Joash. He must die for destroying the altar of Baal and for cutting down the Asherah pole. This is what we would call today social justice. Social justice, if if you attack a cultural idea, social justice warriors will come after you. But let me tell you why I don't fear, fear social justice warriors. They're keyboard warriors. They're sitting behind their keyboard. They don't have a full-time job. If they had a full-time job, they wouldn't be social justice warriors. Have you ever seen them on TV? They're unemployed. I'm not cracking on unemployed people. I'm like, you know, if you went and got a job, and did something with a hair, you could figure a way out of this mess. It's, I talk to the TV sometime. Now, let's talk about this because anytime, well, crap, let's just talk about Target. <laughs> Most people know I'm not a fan of Walmart. And it's not that it's a bad store. I respect Sam Walton, the man that started Walmart. I respect him greatly. He was a godly man. He was an entrepreneur. He established a great company built on godly principles. I mean, if you go back and study the history of Walmart, it's crazy. But um, it's taken a detour since Sam went to be with the Lord. And it basically now, Walmart is the jockey lot with a roof on it, basically. <laughs> I'm right. They got 25 aisles and two work, but one's broke and they need a price check on the other one. And so years ago when Target got built, man, I'm like, man, this is great. I just go Target. I'm, I'm awesome. I love, I love me some Target. But I'm not shopping there right now. And let me tell you why. And just calm down. I don't hate them. I'm not mad at them. But let me tell you why. And, I, and I'm not calling for a boycott. I'm not telling this church to boycott Target. I'm just telling you why. I don't shop at Target. Has nothing to do with the fact that they sell LGBTQ plus stuff because they've been doing it for years. This year, the reason I drew the line, three reasons. Number one, 
they displayed it prominently was the first thing that you saw right when you walked into the store. Number two, the tuck-friendly bathing suits targeting boys under the age of five who wanted to be a girl so you could, they could tuck their penis under them in a way where you couldn't tell they were a boy. That's satanic. Speaking of satanic, number three, they partnered with a literal Satan worshiper who designed clothes specifically for Target. And I'm just like, you know what? There's a dip. You can ask me to tolerate, but don't ask me to celebrate. Because that, I'm not going to, I'm not, so for me personally, that's just where I landed. Pastor P, aren't you worried about people mad at you saying you won't shop at Target? And by the way, let me, let me pause and say this, because I got to say this. If you work at Target, I'm not mad at you. It, like, I, none of that. I'm just telling you where I'm at in my personal journey. And the reason is, I got a choice between social justice and sovereign justice. And one of these days, I'm gonna stand in front of a holy God who's not behind a keyboard, but who's on a throne, who rules and reigns supreme. And I wanna be able to look at him and say, I did my best, I stood strong, and I did my best to lead your people in a way that we should be heading. I'm just telling you, that's where I stand. And I can't do anything else. I've, I've got to stand on God's word and I can't make apologies for it. Even though those people, because they'll come after you. They'll get mad. So, so what happens right after this? This is kind of crazy. But Joash shouted to the mob. You would think Joash would be like, okay, well, Gideon done messed up, y'all. Go out there, boy, you're gonna get, you're gonna get a whooping. I mean, it's, but Joash stepped up. Something switched. After seven years of leading his family astray, Joash, and this is the message, dads. It's never too late to step back in the game. It's never too late to be a good dad. It's never too late to step back in and do the right thing. Joash stepped in and he said, why are you defending Baal? Will you argue his case? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by morning. In other words, Joash said, listen, y'all, y'all gonna go to him? You're gonna have to get through me. He's fighting for his son. Isn't that beautiful? If Baal truly is a God, let him defend himself and destroy the one who broke down his altar. Pretty good argument, wouldn't you think? This reminded me of when I was a kid, I lived in a neighborhood Actually, I didn't live in the neighborhood. I lived in the country, and all the kids within like a mile, we all knew each other. We played with each other. There was two groups of kids. There was my group. We were the largest group, but we were the youngest. We, we averaged between the age of 10 and 12, and, and we all hung out, and I was the biggest kid. Um, and so, so the next group, they were like 15, 14, 15, and 16 years old. And there's a big difference between a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old. 12-year-old, and in the 80s, when I was growing up, we were still playing with Star Wars figures. 15-year-olds had mustaches, mullets, and were driving Camaros, all right? Which I know that just described half the people in this room. But, but that's what a 15-year-old was doing in the 80s. And, and there were two main guys, Tim and Tony, in this 15-year-old group who didn't really like me. And so because I was the biggest, they would pick on me. And um, I had enough of it one day. So they had a treehouse because... Everybody had tree houses, and if you want to get mad at somebody, you just went and tore down their fort, tore down their tree house. And they had a tree house, and it was nice. And I figured out, I figured out that the way to bring that tree house down 
was there was this one beam under it which the majority of the weight of the treehouse was on. And if I could figure out how to get that beam like broken down or chopped in half or whatever, that I could bring that treehouse down. And I did it. I was very proud of myself. It came tumbling down. But they were in it. That was the, <laughs> not making this up. They were mad, but I, I, I had a plan. Do it and run. I'm running home, and I, and I was a little butterball, so I couldn't run fast, but I was trying my best. And I broke out of the woods, and there's my house. There's my driveway. And between me and the house were Tim and Tony. They had outran me, and they were standing there. And I just knew, I was like, oh, here, here. Have you ever just known it's coming? You're just like, all right, just get ready for it. Here we go. And I don't know how he knew. I don't know what happened. All I knew is my dad walked out the door. And he said, hey, boys, I think y'all need to go home. And they looked at each other and they smirked. And they looked back at me. And then my father did something that I had seen him do less than three times in my life. He put down his beer. <laughs> Y'all know what that means. It wasn't even a hold my beer. That wasn't even a thing. He put down his beer. And when he put down his beer, he took his finger and he said, boys, I said it's time for y'all to go home. And they just parted like the Red Sea. And I walked straight through. I was like, how you like them apple? I didn't say a thing. I just went straight in the house. And I never forgot that because here's, here's what's great. My father was willing to fight for me. Even though I'd done something wrong, even though I'd messed up, I still had a father willing to fight for me. And I want everybody here to hear this tonight. You have a heavenly father willing to fight for you. He's not fighting you, he's fighting for you. He's fighting for you to understand that you really can get out of that pit that you're in that you really are stronger than you think, that you really can overcome that addiction, that you really can overcome that emotional situation that holds you hostage at night when you're trying to go to sleep, that you really can take that next step in your walk with Christ. Pastor Pete, how do you know all that stuff? It's real simple. I know this thing called amazing grace. And amazing grace isn't just you're forgiven for everything you've done, which by the way you are, Amazing grace is we have the strength and the power to take our next step with Jesus and with others. So I thought before we did the invitation tonight, how awesome would it be for us to sing Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone? Because somebody needs to hear this tonight. Somebody in this room, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. That thing that you keep asking for forgiveness for, you're forgiven. Jesus, when he paid for our sins on the cross, it was payment in full. And the sooner we can walk into that freedom, the more joy we can have in our lives. So y'all stand and let's pray and then we're gonna sing together. Father, I wanna just thank you tonight that your grace, there is no other word for it than amazing. And God, I wanna thank you that our chains really are gone. And Father, I wanna pray for anyone in this room or any of our friends watching online, Jesus, who feel trapped 
in a pit, walking backwards. God, that as we sing this song, that you would remind us that you are a heavenly father fighting for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Father, I wanna thank you tonight that every word we just sang is true. When heads bowed and eyes closed tonight, I just really felt the Lord impress on my heart that there's somebody here tonight and you're, you got that secret and you know what I'm talking about. You got that secret, you got that secret. And God wants you to know that you can overcome it, that you don't have to keep it a secret. But if you do, it's gonna destroy your life. You can overcome it by the power of God's amazing grace that not only forgives us for the sin, but gives us the strength and power to overcome it. So if you're here tonight, and that's you, just right where you are, tell God, I'm gonna let somebody know tonight. Maybe, maybe there's something that's been a little off in your life and you just need to tell Jesus. Because listen, he's fighting for your heart tonight. He's not fighting you, he's fighting for you. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never prayed to receive Christ. Amazing grace isn't a reality in your life because you've never asked Jesus into your life. You've never had your sins forgiven. You've, you've never been saved. And tonight, you know that's your next step. You need to ask Christ to come into your life. And I wanna invite you right where you stand. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. And if you wanna give your life to Christ, I'm gonna invite you to pray this prayer with me out loud. But not alone, because our whole Second Chance family, we're gonna say this prayer out loud with you. So you will know, stepping into this relationship with Jesus, that you are supported by everybody in this room. So if you wanna to pray to receive Christ, you pray this out loud. And Second Chance family, let's pray it with them. Just say, Jesus Christ, I know I'm a sinner and I need you as my savior. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave to pay for my sins. And right now, Jesus, I confess you as Lord. Come in and take over. In Jesus' name I pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed right now all over this room, if you just prayed that prayer and accepted Christ into your life, I wanna pray with you and I wanna pray for you. So if you'll do me a favor, if you just prayed that prayer, with everybody's heads bowed, everybody's eyes closed, would you just hold your hand up in the air and leave it up in the air? Thank you, right in the back, that was quick. Thank you, sir. Anybody else, keep them up, keep them up, keep them up, keep them up, all over the room, all over the room. Both hands, that's amazing, that's amazing. Father, I wanna thank you, Jesus, that you have saved people all day today, all day today, Jesus. You have changed lives all day, Jesus. Your amazing grace has been in this place. Father, I pray for everybody that prayed to receive you tonight, that they would walk out knowing that they literally just crossed over from death to life. And for those of us, God, that might be wrestling or might be struggling or might feel overwhelmed, Jesus, that we would know that your amazing grace gives us strength and power to overcome anything this world throws at us because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And everybody that agreed said, amen.